The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of The Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is an interview with Fat Mike. For punk fans, Fat Mike needs no introduction, but just in case, he's been a staple of the genre for the past 40 years as the leader of NoFX, the founder of Fat Records, the producer of tons of bands, and much more. There are two reasons I gave Fat Mike a call in April of 2023. One, because NoFX are about to embark on their final tour ever, and two, because the new punk rock museum in Vegas, which Mike spearheaded, opened earlier this month. Mike shed light on both the end of NoFX and the museum, as well as his new project, Co-Defendants, and some general punk rock talk, like how he first got into the genre himself and what he believes is the true start of punk. He told us about some of his favorite artifacts in the museum, weighed in on what does and doesn't count as punk, and explained why certain bands were left out of the punk rock museum. Mike also gave his stance on rising concert ticket prices and large promotion companies like Live Nation, and as always, he did not mince words once. For some more background on the Punk Rock Museum before we get to our chat, it documents all five decades of punk from the 1970s to present, and it's full of artifacts from all throughout punk history, from legendary instruments that we've seen bands play on stage, to outfits we've seen them wear, to old show flyers, to personal items like Darby Crash's phone book, and much more. You can play some of those actual instruments in the museum's jam room, and you can also get guided tours from punk musicians themselves, including Fat Mike, other members of NoFX, and members of Bad Religion, The Germs, Fishbone, Less Than Jake, Agnostic Front, Anti-Flag, The Ramones, The Damned, The Vandals, Sick of It All, TSOL, The Addicts, and much more. They've also got a bar, a tattoo parlor, a wedding chapel, and more. You can find more information on their website, which we've included in the description of this episode. This podcast is brought to you in part by DistroKid, a service for musicians that allows you to easily upload your music to all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, and more. DistroKid allows you to do automatic revenue splits so collaborators and co-writers can get paid too. It provides you with an artist page that links to your music on all streaming services. It allows you to add lyrics, credits, and liner notes, and more. You can get 30% off of your first year's membership by signing up at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Brooklyn Vegan. We've also included the link in the description of this episode, and you can click directly from there. And now, my chat with Fat Mike. Well, what's up, Mike? What's going on? I just rode my bike to the museum, the Punk Rock Museum. You're living in Vegas now, right? Yeah, I like the challenge. (laughs) How's that going? I like it here a lot. So tell me about Punk Rock Museum. It's open now. How's it going so far? It's fucking great. Smelly's giving tours today. Uh, I gave some tours. Luigi from Suicidal Tendencies gave tours. Everyone loved him. Uh, everyone's leaving with smiles on their face. People are just really, really stoked. Is this your first time uh, doing any type of guided tour yourself? Yeah. How, how do you how do you fit the role? Is it is it a good look for you? I'm pretty good at it because I know what, what everything on the wall is. Because, you know. We'd put together all this stuff for two years. So some of our other tour guides, they forget things like that's Pat Smear's first royalty check for $8 and 34 cents. And there's so much stuff here that you can miss a lot of things. What were uh, some of the artifacts in the museum that you were really proud to get a hold of? 
Uh, Darby Crash's phone book. Yeah, his little pocket phone book and all his personal items. Uh, we got Joe Strummer's last bag of weed. The coolest thing, I one of the coolest things is uh, Tim Armstrong's. Well, first we have his Op Ivy guitar. That's behind glass, but we have his hollow body Ramsey guitar uh, that you can actually play in the jam room. Yeah, tell me more about the jam room. So you can like plug in like famous punk rockers guitars into the actual amp yeah, they use, right? Yeah, you can play Joan Jett's guitar, uh, Fletchford Pennywise's guitar, my bass, uh, the Addicts guitar, Tim Armstrong's, uh, Chet from Wasted Use, Dan Armstrong. We have Wesley Willis's keyboard. And uh, it's funny, I was in the, I'm in the office right now and I heard some kid playing a no effects riff really badly. <laughs> so uh, I just went in there and started playing it. And I showed, this is how you do it, kid. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably just like rocked his entire world. <laughs> well, the kids in there, they're just, they're so happy. This, this blonde girl, she's like 12 and she was playing Tim Armstrong's guitar. And, you know, she'll never forget that. Uh, what were any items you were like really aiming for and you just couldn't get them? Jeez. Uh, well, we we could have got Joe Strummer's Cadillac, but we really had no place to put it. Uh, and we were going to we I had Sublime's tour van in my fucking driveway for a year. And that was going to be, you know, like our shuttle bus, like pick up people from airports. And then uh, the kid who loaned it to us took it back. Oh, man. That would have been cool. Smoke some spleefs, <laughs> some reggae, get to the punk rock museum. Now, on a similar note, I mean, you've got all these amazing legends giving tours. Was there anybody you tried to get for a tour that, like, you know, said no? Not really. Uh, we haven't asked a lot of, like, everyone... Well, I try to find people that would be really interesting. And so far, it's it's been pretty easy. This weekend, we got Roger from Agnostic Front. And we had, we got Don Bowles from The Germs. And he was he's so kooky. His tour was great. That's awesome. They're all different. They're all mm -hmm. different. Because it's just people telling stories. So the, the, the museum itself, the, all the investors and stuff are all punk musicians, right? There's like no big VCs and everything. No, there's no corporations. So tell, tell me about that, just getting like all these punk musicians to fund this big museum in Vegas. It wasn't easy. Uh, generally, if you ask people for money, they don't want to give it to you. And, you know, if it was. Um, but, and we, you know, I bought the building, I don't know, two years ago. And people didn't really have that much. Uh, uh, they didn't really think I could do it or they were hesitant especially when I'm like hey this is fatty what's up Brett uh, you want to invest in the museum it's just people didn't want to but everyone a lot of people did and a lot of bands did and record label people record label owners like Gerwitz and uh, BYO and Nitro and uh after two years, we just got it. We got it done. So who was like, you know, one of the first or first couple people to kind of really see your vision and be like, yeah, let's do this together. Pat Smear. Pat Smear was like the first big investor. And he, he asked me, what do you have to do to get inducted into this museum? And I said, I don't know, maybe you put out a seven inch. 
he's like, I'm in, you know, and, uh, and Eric from Dillinger four, he came in really early for a lot of money too. He's a, he's the second biggest investor, all that triple rock money. And, uh, Mark Hoppus put in a bunch of money. Tim Armstrong did Kevin Lyman. So, uh, you know, people that I thought would did. It is, it's cool to think just this, you know, this whole culture of music that starts so DIY and so small. It's like when everyone comes together like this, it's just like you really see how big it's grown over the years and now like you can pull off something like this. Right, and it still is completely DIY. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think too, like the museum documents, it's got five decades of punk rock, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you were first getting into punk, would you ever have thought like, this is something that's going to last 50 plus years. There'll be a museum in Vegas one day. Well, that's what I was thinking when I was 14. I went to my first X show and I thought one day I'm going up a punk museum in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, no, in, in fact, in 81, I thought I missed everything. I'm like, oh man, I missed everything. Punk's over now and I missed it. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was the moment that you were like, oh, it's not over and, you know, I think I can do it. Like, what made you realize that it was okay to, you know, put your foot in the door? What, in the museum world? No, in the punk rock world. Oh, just, you know, I had nothing better to do. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? You know, I'm in high school and I start started a band. That's what, that's the magic of punk is you don't need to be a musician to start a band. So, so tell me about uh, your personal introduction to punk. Like, you know, who were the first few bands that you kind of saw do it that really roped you I in? Punk differently than most people, I think. I never heard it before. Well, actually, I was in summer camp and I heard Beat on the Brat with a baseball bat. And uh, so I had a Ramones cassette. And then I was uh, going to the movies with my friend. Was I was just got out of elementary school. And he said, let's go to the whiskey instead of seeing a movie. And so there was, I went to see a punk band before I ever listened to punk. And I was scared shitless. <laughs> I was 14 and everyone was, you know, slam dancing. And uh, I got hooked. Hooked me at a young age. Do you remember what band it was? It was Killing Joke at the Whiskey. And oh, then I went okay, back cool. to uh, X at the Subhumans. Very cool. Um, so with the museum, you know, I guess it goes from the 70s to present day. Uh, in your opinion, since this is kind of a debated topic, when does punk truly begin for you? I think the Ramones started the sound. The Ramones brought the punk sound to England. And the Sex Pistols brought punk rock to the U.S. So would you have like Stooges or MC5 in the museum or is that too proto-punk? Uh, or No, we do. Mm -hmm. but that's not where punk started i think the ramones really did it because they could barely play and they were just kids having fun and arguing and they never thought anything would happen and uh they never thought they were going to be a big band and that's kind of the spirit of punk is people just doing it for fun other styles of music they want to make it yeah well um but you know Obviously, over the years, that's changed. I mean, what do you think about punk bands who set out trying to make it? Well, you know, that's what they're doing. 
it's fine. I have no problem with that. But what's more important is there's still bands in East LA playing on flatbed trucks that are just doing it for the same reasons we all did. Mm -hmm. They're just playing to get drunk, get laid and uh, get in trouble. Now, obviously, a lot of people's definition of punk changes. Was anything off limits for you for the museum? Is there anything where you were like, oh, that that's not punk? Oh, yeah. Bands that aren't punk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess to, to elaborate, like, you know, if uh, I don't no, know. No, we have, we have crossover corner. Uh-huh. And, you know, even Avenged Sevenfolds on the wall somewhere. Because mm-hmm. those guys started as a punk band. Right. And... Uh, and there's some bands we left out, like Screwdriver. Uh, yeah. But there's also some bands that we debated about, you know, like uh, Fang. You know, their singer Sammy Town uh, murdered his girlfriend in in the late '80s. He did 12 years. He got out. Now he's sober and uh, trying to be a useful part of society. Anyway, I, I don't, we're historians. We're not punk rock police. But we did, we did draw a line with Screwdriver. That's the philosophy of racism. It's not uh, making a, a, a boo-boo. So uh, one thing I heard was that, um, you know, a lot of people said yes to you for this thing, for like getting involved. I heard Green Day said no. Uh, Green Day, yeah, they said no. But more recently, like a month ago, they, uh, they gave us some really cool shit. Okay. So uh, what happened? What turned around? Well, everyone saw that we were opening and how cool it was. So they wanted to get in on it. A little FOMO. So we got Billy Joe's blue guitar and Mike Dern's bass and Billy Joe's first guitar, a bass amp, actually, from Gilman Street. And uh, we got some cool shit. They were one of the bands that did not invest and put money in. I was bummed because they're old friends, you know. But they gave us some cool shit now, so we're all good. So I was also wanted to ask about, uh, you know, no effects. You're doing your final touring. Why the decision to stop touring after all these years? Uh, 40 years I've had it. And I wanted to say goodbye properly to, to all our fans, to the world. And it's not, there won't be a reunion or something like that. Never. Now, what are your plans for this? It's going into 2024, right? The tour? Yeah. The, yeah. So what are like, what are some things you've got lined up for these shows? Well, we're, we're doing rec- We're doing so many songs we've never played before. I've been practicing and we all been practicing like crazy to learn all these songs that are su- like, generally when you record an album, you don't do the songs that are really hard to play live. And now we have to learn all the songs that are really hard to play live. So it'll be challenging and and fun and interesting for us. And uh, I think people are going to be stoked. It's not like we have a special light show and play longer. And I, for one, I'm going to get super emotional every night. I'm kind of a crybaby. Are you primarily doing this as like the punk and drublic sort of festival things? Or are you doing regular club shows, big other big festivals? Club shows. It's all outdoors. It's all on weekends. Because we want people to have a great time and drink a lot. And uh, we might be playing a couple of clubs, but no, it's mainly like campgrounds and places where uh, no effects. We don't have to share uh, the revenue with Live Nation. Mm-hmm. 
all these events are independent. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to share our last hurrah with uh, some big corporations. I feel like, especially now, that's like this big issue, right? I mean, like politicians are getting involved in like Ticketmaster and Live Nation fees and stuff, and you know, like or Taylor Swift's concert sells out in half a second, and everybody is outraged, like, uh, or just the prices, like you know, like these dynamic pricing and things. I mean, where do you stand on all this kind of ticketing pricing? stuff that's been in the news like every day lately look those big corporations that do music festivals they're just corporations they're trying to make as much money as they can and pay the artists as little as possible and and they don't care about the concert goer at all so what what how do i feel is we're doing our own shows in our own venues where we uh make the prices and it's like 60 bucks and uh everyone is gonna have a great time no one's getting ripped off no one's gonna feel bad and we are charging more if you want to stand on stage with us at one of our last shows yeah you could pay a little bit more for that now you did say in other interviews that the band's done touring but you're still gonna make records that's still the case well we have like 50 songs that are in the can that need to be finished so i don't i don't know but I, you know i'm more interested in, in co-defendants right now mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about co-defendants how did that all come together uh sam sam's one of my best friends from get dead and uh he introduced me to this rapper chesky and we got along and they had a few songs recorded and then uh i loved it they asked me to produce because i produced all the get dead records and uh that I just kind of joined the band. And um, I love it so much. We, you know, all three of us live together in Vegas now. And uh, we're just always writing stuff and recording. It's really, it's really wonderful. No effects have always lived in different cities. We just got together for records or just for tours. But this band, this band is a living band. And the music you're making is quite different from no effects. Yeah, well, it's, uh, genre fluid, I believe. And I'll tell you what, I never got 10 out of 10. I never got five, five star reviews or 10 out of 10 reviews ever. It feels good. Um, is it refreshing to sort of, you know, do this genre fluid thing? I mean, no effects had such a particular sound. Like, did you over the years kind of be like, you know, I'd like to not play punk rock for, you know, for this no, new I, record. No, that's why I wrote, I wrote a musical mm-hmm. and also effects are one of the most uh, diversified bands musically, punk bands. You know, Bad Religion, Ramones, Dropkicks, they're not, but reggae and jazz and whatever we felt like. You said in a recent interview that NoFX could never have become a major label band. Uh, I'm curious why you think that is, because I would have thought you would have got major label interest like in the post Green Day era or something. Well, we did, we had a lot of major label interest, but I didn't want that kind of career and I also don't think we're good enough, not good enough. We don't have the disposition to be a major label band. I have to go to radio stations and to do radio concerts. So we just, I don't want to be told what to do. And I didn't want anyone owning my career. Just somebody off and they fucking tank your career. I wanted to do it myself. And that's why we're probably the biggest DIY band ever. Um, so another question I had is, uh, so I heard that 
the song on the new no effects record punk rock cliche you had originally written for blink 182 uh i wrote it uh played it for matt skiba he loved it he wrote lyrics on it he brought it to the band they loved it the label said it was going to be their first single and then matt told them that i wrote it and they dropped it uh, I understand it. You know, they just kicked Tom out of the band. And someone would have said, so your first single that you kicked Tom out of the band is written by Fat Mike. They, don't, they didn't want to hear that. Even though I was willing to ghostwrite it, but I don't know. It was a bummer for me because they, because for six weeks, I thought it was going to be their first single. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you do much like uh I guess ghostwriting or co-writing in general like that, or is that kind of a, a what a one-off thing? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not telling you who I do it for, or it wouldn't be ghostwriting. <laughs> All right. This is one band I, I produced and wrote with that I really like. They're called Sitting on Stacy. The worst band name, but the record is fucking awesome. Every, every when I produce, I co-write. That's mm-hmm. what all the Fat Records bands that I produced since '91. Sure, you know I I have, I write melodies and chord progressions i just i never really I never put my name on records because it'd be weird if i had my name on all those records i just wanted to make every record really good that i put out the first few years i like every band that signs to fat records i want their first record to be really great after that it's kind of on them what's your uh, favorite fat records release oh i don't have a favorite <laughs> but i do think propaganda how to clean everything was the record that define the fabric could sound like uh, bad cop warriors a lot too thanks to fat mike for stopping by and thank you for listening if you want to check out the punk rock museum the link to the museum's website is included in the description of this episode and you can catch no effects on their final tour keep up with all their tour dates at the fat records website they've got much more to be announced stay tuned And hey, if you like what you heard, give us a good rating. It doesn't take long and it really goes a long way. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe. Any little bit helps. Thanks so much. See you next time.